By the end of 2005, Vietnam was the country hardest hit by bird flu. The H5N1 virus had killed 42 people and millions of chickens and ducks had been culled. In this programme, Sue Ingram visited Vietnam to find out how the authorities were trying to control the disease and potentially stop the virus mutating into a human flu pandemic. If the worst predictions are realised and bird flu mutates into a global pandemic, it's likely to originate from somewhere like this, a simple village in rural Vietnam. In homes like this one, families rear ducks and chickens in close proximity. The animals are everywhere, children are everywhere, poultry and humans live side by side. It's an ideal incubator for a crisis that could threaten populations around the world. When bird flu came to Vietnam, it was really a a good environment for rapid spread amongst the poultry and then transmission from poultry to humans. Peter Horby is a medical epidemiologist with the World Health Organization in Vietnam. First sent to Hanoi during the SARS crisis, he's now a vital part of assessing what's happening to the H5N1 virus. The risk of the virus mutating into a form that can cause a pandemic is hard to quantify, but it's really related to the amount of the virus that's circulating either in humans or in poultry and the rate at which it's replicating and the the risk of it mutating. And it could occur that it mutates in the poultry and then moves over to humans. And really our prime concern is, is the extent of the outbreaks and the virus in poultry. So I think the first thing we need to do is to concentrate on controlling the poultry outbreaks. It's bird flu season in Vietnam right now. The virus prefers the cooler weather that the northern hemisphere winter brings. But this year's seasonal outbreak has alarmed the government because it's happened earlier than normal. It's also happened despite the containment efforts already carried out. We had been hopeful because the Agriculture Ministry has been doing a lot of work both in educating farmers, trying to reduce the risk of transmission between different species of poultry, between ducks and chickens. They've implemented a mass vaccination campaign of poultry. And so we were disappointed when we saw the recurrence of the outbreaks recently. What's more, poultry and human cases have been seen in the capital Hanoi, prompting the communist authorities to take more stringent measures. Last month it stopped people selling live poultry in areas affected by bird flu. In Hanoi's biggest market, changes have taken place since the introduction of the ban on selling live poultry. Two months ago, live hens and ducks would have been sold here and often slaughtered on the spot for a customer. A place like this is short on refrigeration and the killing would take place on a crude wooden slab. But now the meat of choice is pork, uncovered here in neat pink slabs next to the road with the mopeds going past. But the price of pork is on the way up. Similar changes are also evident in the way chickens and ducks are transported. This is the sound of a Hanoi street. Thousands of mopeds careering through the small lanes of the old quarters. It's chaotic to watch. There appear to be few road rules and the few cars just complicate matters. The street scene has changed since I was last here 15 years ago. 
when cycle rickshaws predominated, and you'd often see the cycle rickshaws carrying live ducks and chickens. No more. All that has been banned. But it's a different scene in smaller towns in the countryside where there are still hens and ducks in profusion. 17 of Vietnam's 64 provinces have seen outbreaks of avian flu. I visited one of those affected, staying in a town called Ninh Binh, about 100 kilometers southeast of Hanoi. I'm walking along the side of a river and on the other side is a row of homes that stretch for a kilometre or more. They're hickledy-pickledy, they're backing onto the river, and the water is eating away their foundations. Some of them are crumbling. It almost looks literally before my eyes. And underneath, in the foundations of many of the homes, are small groups of hens. Obviously, they're being kept by the family for food. But these aren't fat, plump hens like we'd see in New Zealand. These are scrawny birds. And what they're doing is scavenging among the litter that's being tossed either onto the riverbank from the road or tossed into the water from the homes backing onto the river. A day's cycling around the smaller villages and hamlets in the area provided more evidence of the close contact between humans and poultry that is part of everyday life. <laughs> this flock of ducks around me belongs to a local farmer. He's just chased and caught one, handed it over to a friend or neighbour. He's tied its legs and wings and folded it, still alive, into the front basket of his bicycle and ridden off after gesturing to me that he's about to slaughter and eat it. Peter Horby from the WHO says it's the practice of killing an infected bird for consumption that holds the highest risk. The virus is mostly found in the faeces of the birds and also some of the respiratory secretions, but it seems that the highest risk factor is actually handling birds and killing them and preparing them for food, which a lot of Vietnamese you know, prepare poultry themselves, who so do the killing and the preparation from start to finish, and that seems to be the risky factor. There's no sign of chicken or ducks in the regional market, though. Every part of a pig is being sold from crude wooden stalls, but no poultry. Eating well-cooked chicken and eggs is not thought to be risky. Nonetheless, when eggs appeared in this market the other day, I've been told no one wanted to buy any. The province is involved in Vietnam's huge bird vaccination campaign, a programme aimed at inoculating 170 million poultry by the end of the year. Each bird gets two shots, 28 days apart, of vaccine brought from China. It's a huge undertaking, employing 80,000 workers. But farmers like this one are happy to line up with their bamboo baskets full of chickens. Well, I heard from radio 
and also from uh, TV, newspaper, they say uh, H5N1 is very dangerous. And therefore, we have to bring all the chicken here to be vaccinated. I'm worried about uh, um, getting the infection myself and also the members of family. The vaccination program aims to decrease the amount of the virus in the environment and lower the chance of it transferring to humans. If an outbreak of bird flu occurs, the flock and those nearby are killed. But suggestions that it would be safer for Vietnam to cull all its poultry are dismissed by the director of the animal health department, Boi Guang Eng. He says killing all the chickens would have a huge economic and social impact and believes the problem hasn't reached the extent that all poultry needs to be culled. Peter Horby from the WHO says affecting the livelihood of more than 40 million people, more than half the population, would create severe hardship. It's a matter of economic and food security for the people. You know, for a huge number of, the, of people and a large proportion of the population, they rely on the poultry for income and for food. And really there is no way of immediately overnight replacing that. And to do 100% you know, culling either in provinces or, or regions or, or the country, both is extremely difficult practically to kill that many birds and dispose of them safely, but also of course you know, enormous harm I think in terms of people's food and economic security. Those farmers whose birds are killed receive compensation. It amounts to about a third of the market price and many complain it's far too low. The country director of the World Bank for Vietnam, Klaus Rowland, says it's important to get the level right. Well, you have two extremes. If your compensation is too high, farmers just drop the chicken at government's doorstep because it's easier to sell chicken to government, almost like wholesale, than going to the markets. So clearly, if you had a compensation that would be one-to-one -to, -one to potential market prices, you would have an inefficient system. Yet, if you have compensation that is too low, farmers start to hide. So if you came up with too low com uh, the compensation, you would see um, farmers hiding chicken in the forests, in the bushes, and that, of course, would defeat the purpose. Peter Horby says previous levels of compensation have caused difficulties. The incentives for farmers to report their outbreaks sometimes have not been strong enough. There's always been problems with compensation both the level of compensation and the rapidity of compensation. And without that compensation, rural farmers who are really living on the breadline don't have a good incentive to report. But recently the government's increased the compensation payments to farmers and we hope that will improve reporting. It's also hoped that the vaccination programme will dramatically cut the number of birds culled and make compensation irrelevant. So far, although millions of hens and ducks have been slaughtered and the livelihoods of farmers disrupted, the economic impact on Vietnam's economy has been minimal. The World Bank says the impact of bird flu on Vietnam is about 0.1 to 0.2% of GDP. That's relatively tiny. But it's here at the local level where bird flu is hurting the individual small farmer. It's not just cold, hard economics, of course. Peter Horby says chicken also provides an important source of protein. In the rural areas, the chickens are raised really as food for the family. So when those chickens are killed, then the family find it hard to replace it with another source because they would have to purchase that other source and they don't have the income. 
Klaus Rowland from the World Bank says bird flu, if it remains an animal disease, is not likely to dent Vietnam's economic success, which has seen annual growth rates above 5% for almost 20 years. But a more important issue, he says, is the impact of Vietnam's attempts to restructure its poultry farming from small flocks kept in the backyard to larger-scale production. Chicken is the poor man's livestock in Vietnam. And income from chicken for them is very often the only cash income they have beyond subsistence from the rice paddies and so on. And as you restructure the chicken production, you probably have to move to larger scale farming. And there is some concern, and that's again where Vietnam probably will need some support, is to mitigate the impact on poverty as you move to what you have to do on global public grounds, as you move to more biosecure farming. In a country where per capita income is 600 US dollars a year, it's feared bird flu may quickly drop small farmers back into the poverty they escaped only recently. But the director of the animal health department, Boi Guang Eng, says it's vital that Vietnam's way of farming is reformed. If we just sell the poultry randomly and we just have a small scale of farming, we cannot eliminate the, the bird flu. Uh, and there is only one way that we should modernize the breeding system by that we, we apply the closed system of, of raising all the ducks and chickens. Mr Eng says there are also plans to centralise the slaughter of poultry in factories and sell it in plastic-wrapped packages, a huge change for those used to buying a live chicken at market and killing it at home. I think that by 2006, the Vietnamese people will be going to the grocery store to buy their poultry. Much of what the Vietnamese government is undertaking is being done with money from international donors. Klaus Rowland from the World Bank in Vietnam says the country is receiving 9 million US dollars, which is being spent on improving animal health, improving diagnostic and surveillance systems and providing equipment to the health service. He says it's vital it is spent slowly and efficiently. You need a lot of money for bird flu, but you don't need it now. You need it over a period of five or ten years to get the systems right. You want to invest efficiently. You want to do the best possible. But money is only part of the answer. I mean, if you have a country that has maybe something like 30 or 50 veterinarians, um, according to New Zealand standards, and if you only have a limited person who can handle sophisticated laboratories, you know, what's the purpose of setting up 50, 100 laboratories um, if people can't work with it? The WHO's Peter Horby says more international donors, including the United States, came forward this year after bird flu appeared in Europe. We certainly saw a, a rapid increase in interest once bird flu cases started to be seen sort of in, in Russia and then going towards Eastern Europe. And the response now is very welcome, but certainly it would have been even more welcome had it been earlier. Standing outside the National Assembly, the seat of government, the daily bustle is kept behind red barriers. From here, the Prime Minister has travelled around the provinces, spearheading a high-level delegation, talking to local officials and farmers about the importance of being vigilant and reporting any cases of bird deaths or sickness. This is a resource-poor country, the government of which is now in the middle of an expensive battle to try to contain bird flu. 
the battle is being portrayed as a fight against a threat to the nation. And in the provinces, the ruling people's councils are reported to be loyal to the people and loyal to the government. But it would be naive to think things run like clockwork. The director of the animal health department says Vietnam needs a better information system so cases of bird flu can be reported more quickly. But he says there have been improvements. For example, in Taiwan province, yeah, in November 15, we have one household with only 20 chicken died. And three days later, we got the positive test of the result. And at that time, uh, they declared. Peter Horby says earlier problems seem to have been sorted out. There may have been some issues with um, people being reluctant to report because they wanted to be seen to have been effective in controlling the outbreaks. And I think possibly in 2003 we saw that where there was seemed to be more rapid control from reporting than the reality, and that may have been because people felt that politically they had to say that it was being controlled. But I think now things are much more straightforward and open and people are being pretty clear about the situations in their provinces. Klaus Roland from the World Bank says the Vietnamese government has been very forthcoming in working with the international community. There's always some concern worldwide that when diseases are erupting in any country, that government pays it honest, and the Vietnam government has done that. Cases are reported, cases are followed up, information is shared with WHO, ourselves and others. And that is a very positive and encouraging move in an environment which at least five years ago or so wasn't really well known for transparency. Transparency and speedy reporting are particularly important when it comes to the vital question of whether the H5N1 virus is mutating into one that can pass easily between people. The WHO says human clusters could be the first alarm signal, and earlier this year officials feared that might be happening in Tai Bin province, a couple of hours southeast of Hanoi. A 21-year-old man fell ill after helping his parents slaughter chickens. Then his 14-year-old sister also became sick. The man's family took him to the local hospital, where he was cared for by Nurse Tin. Well, first, because we didn't have an x-ray, so I'm just thinking that maybe he's fever, high fever. We're thinking of pneumonia. But it wasn't pneumonia, it was bird flu, and a few days later, Nurse Tin fell ill himself. I thought I may die. I was in crisis, so I'm frightened. Experts feared the virus had begun to spread from person to person. But investigators discovered the nurse might also have been exposed to sick poultry, and Peter Horby says it proved to be a false alarm. There have been a number of human clusters, both in Vietnam but also in Indonesia and Thailand. So really now there's a belief that the virus has some limited ability for human-to-human transmission, but just within small family groups where there's very close and intimate contact between people. And so far, we've not seen any evidence of any wider spread than that. So if we see small clusters now, small family clusters, as long as it's limited to that, then we don't think there's any change in the situation. It's if we begin to see it spreading more widely with more casual contacts being infected or community transmission, then that would really be something to be concerned about. 
Cuban cases of avian influenza from northern areas of Vietnam are brought here to Back My Hospital in Hanoi, one of a handful of hospitals which can offer specialised treatment. There's a high mortality rate. 50% of patients with bird flu die. Nguyen Duong Van is the deputy director of the intensive care unit at the Tropical Disease Institute at Bac Mai Hospital. She says humans with bird flu have a fever, a dry cough and difficulty breathing. Those who die, she says, tend to have poorer general health than those who survive. For the, the dead, they are also not so fat, they are very thin and they have also other problems, that is the problem with their kidneys and um, diabetics. So for the survivor, they are very strong and healthy. Peter Horby says if the virus mutates, he expects a lower mortality rate. Currently the virus that's affecting poultry and is occasionally being transmitted to humans um, does cause very severe disease. That's more characteristic of a virus that is where the humans are an abnormal or aberrant host and it's unlikely that a virus that's that lethal really will be able to continue transmission amongst humans. So we would expect that you know, any new virus that may emerge that could cause a pandemic would not be so severe. If avian flu does mutate, it's here, the crowded streets of Hanoi's old quarter that could be hardest hit. Narrow shops cram hard up against each other along narrow streets. They double up as homes, with family life spilling onto the pavements at night. All day long, this area teems with people, in stark contrast to the more detached lifestyles in New Zealand. A virulent strain of flu here would be a nightmare. The World Health Organization has created a general stockpile of the antiviral drug Tamiflu, enough for three million people. Its purpose is for a rapid early intervention to try to contain a pandemic or slow it down to give other countries a chance to prepare. But what's certain is the health system in Vietnam would be quickly overwhelmed. Despite this, Dr Wing Duang Van says there are plans in place. The Ministry of Health have a master plan of dividing other hospitals uh, to have enough spaces for the bird flu. Such as here, if a pandemic happened, we could uh, provide 100 beds. Peter Horby from the WHO says annual government expenditure on healthcare is less than 10 US dollars per person. These hospitals are very poorly resourced, um, and so their capacity to deal with a large number of uh, influenza cases is very limited. Hospitals have very limited access to sophisticated equipment like respirators, etc. And also even limited number of highly trained staff, limited number of beds, poor infection control abilities. So there's an enormous amount that needs to be done on the healthcare side. No wonder then that the government seems galvanised into action to try to contain bird flu, with concern growing that other animal diseases might possibly cross over to infect humans. It's action that will stand the country in good stead, even if avian flu fails to eventuate. And Peter Horby believes it's critical that Vietnam gets it right. Despite the spread of bird flu to other countries, you know, Southeast Asia is still the hot spot, with China being quite significantly affected now, we're seeing increasing human cases in Indonesia, Thailand's affected Vietnam. So I think this is the area where all the action is and where a lot of the work needs to be focused. Clearly all the other countries need to be preparing themselves and 
trying to prevent spread of bird flu to their countries, but really I think here is where the greatest risk of a pandemic virus arising is. Every morning in Hanoi, as dawn breaks, hundreds of people head to public spaces to exercise. In many cases, they're being asked to change the way they live, what they eat and how they earn a living. Whether the communist government succeeds may be vital to us all. That programme was written and presented by Sue Ingram. It was first broadcast in December 2005.